Good morning. I'm George Polarki. Welcome to Cityscape. Finding a parking space in New York City is never easy. And with the city's population expected to grow by a million in the next 23 years, the parking crunch is bound to get a whole lot worse. On this week's Cityscape, the trials and tribulations of parking in the city, from the hassle of finding a spot on the street to the frustration of having your car towed. We're talking about parking this morning on Cityscape from 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Pull on in. There are plenty of spots. Most of us have had the experience of trying to find parking in downtown Manhattan. The endless circling, the overly aggressive competition. Even after a few minutes, it can take its toll. So what do we make of those people who have to park their car on the street every day, morning and evening, in the most crowded neighborhood around? Well, we found one, and he's got lots of stories to tell. We recently hopped in his car at 6 p.m. on a weeknight to try and find a spot in the heart of the East Village. My name is Zach Mako, and I've been commuting into the city for about five years now and have been living in the city for over three. And I've been looking for parking spots for, yeah, about three years. My first move in finding a parking spot is going to uh, pretty much a familiar spot. Parking is all about uh, people's turf, really. It's all about marking your territory. Uh, You kind of have to park on the same street for, you know, a period of time to learn the ropes on how it goes. There's a certain parking etiquette that goes along with, uh, you know, finding a spot and kind of, especially if you're sitting on a street waiting for a spot, you know, whether it be uh, how far ahead do you uh, do you own the space basically in front of you. If you're sitting on the side of the street, you know, if there's a person that comes out and goes to their car and they're three uh, spots ahead of you, um, you can mark that. But say it's five spots, it might be open territory for someone else to come and grab. People who sit and wait for a spot are usually people that live here or park here every day. The people that drive around and look for a spot are people usually who come in from Jersey or Connecticut or outside of New York uh, City. So it's a different thing. The people who sit and wait in the spots, uh, sit and wait on the street, basically they've been doing it for a while, usually. Longest I've waited is about two and a half hours, I'd say, uh, three hours. Usually Halloween, around Halloween is the worst time. Um, And Friday nights, Saturday nights, uh, especially Saturday nights are probably the worst. Right now, I'm making a right on 2nd Avenue uh, off of 6th Street. And I'm going to do uh, a big uh, U-turn or uh, a big circle right now to go back on the 6th Street. That's Zach Mako searching for a parking spot in the East Village. We'll check back in with Zach a little later in the show. Maybe he'll have found a spot by then. If Zach were looking for parking a little farther downtown in the Little Italy neighborhood, he might think about taking advantage of a brand-new, state-of-the-art parking facility. It's called Auto Motion, and it's New York City's first fully automated parking garage. You drive in, park your car on a platform, and from there, a mechanized system whisks it away. Confused? We spoke with Auto Motion's CEO to find out just how it works. My name is Perry Finkelman. I'm CEO of Automotion Parking Systems. We are here at 123 Baxter Street in downtown Manhattan in the first automated parking uh, garage in New York. 
We have a vehicle that just came in. It's parking. It's now uh, the operator of the vehicle is uh, moving into the uh, receiving bay, and he's following the directions. Uh, right now it says, please move forward. Uh, there are other signs of you too far left, too far right. It'll tell you to do that. Um, at, the, at the point where it's in position, he shuts off the vehicle, and then uh, the room is checked right now with lasers uh, to make sure he can actually park. Then there's a list of safety instructions, such as turn off the engine, uh, make sure you have the parking brake on, uh, things of that nature. Then the, the customer goes to the kiosk, and then answers a series of safety questions. We want to make sure that no one's in the vehicle. Uh, no babies, no animals. Uh, have you taken all your packages? You know, again, just to remind people that take everything out of the vehicle. Our receiving room door is now uh, closing. What's happening now, there are motion sensors that are checking the vehicle. There are lasers that are checking the vehicle to make sure there are no obstructions. And once the system is satisfied uh, that it's okay, you take your ticket, you walk away, and the process begins. I'm Ari Milstein, Director of Planning for Automotion Parking System. Right now we are standing on the observation platform inside the guts of the parking system. Uh, here you can see the main storage retrieval unit, which is what is allows us to get all of the space-saving components in it. it. Because of this machine, you're able to reduce all of the maneuvering space that is usually required with parking garages um, because all of the movement takes place in this one lane where the storage retrieval unit is on a, is basically the equivalent of an elevator on tracks that goes side to side. There's an elevator that moves the vehicles up and down as well as has a turntable on it so the vehicle is positioned appropriately for exit when it's returned to the engine. Basically what you just saw there is the entire parking process take place. The elevator gets lowered down with the vehicle on it. The pallet gets transferred from the elevator onto the main storage retrieval unit I was describing earlier. That unit then, an empty pallet from that unit gets replaced back onto the entrance elevator. The elevator returns back to the entrance room to accept the next vehicle and the storage retrieval unit moves towards whatever parking bay the system decides is the best place to put the vehicle and again pushes the car into the parking bay and has an empty pallet come back out onto the, onto the storage retrieval unit and the process is repeated. So right now the customer, is, after uh, he's paid, is now going into the uh, exit booth and starts his car and it's facing in the exit direction and he just pulls right out. It's a process that's under two minutes. You know, the fact of the matter is people drive. And, you know, if people drive, they're going to have to park their vehicles. We are, unfortunately, uh, that's the way our economy works. I can't imagine um, any urban area not dealing with parking. I think uh, uh, urban mass transit needs to be encouraged not only more in New York, but in uh, out of areas, but there is a need to deal with the parking situation. That's Perry Finkelman, CEO of Automotion. If you find yourself looking for a parking spot near 123 Baxter Street in Little Italy and you have 25 bucks in your pocket, you may want to give it a try. Let's check back in now with Zach. He's our East Village Parker. 
Last time we spoke, he was crossing 2nd Avenue looking for a spot on 6th Street. Right now I'm making a right on 3rd Street and uh, still looking and we're heading back uh, over. We're going to cross 2nd Avenue in a second. If you parked in an area for a while, um, you kind of have claimed your territory where the people who also park on that street know who you are and know that you park there every day. So usually if you're waiting for a spot and a spot comes up, they usually give you the benefit of the doubt just because you know they know that they're going to see you every day. Uh, people who don't usually park on the street, who are the people who just drive around looking for a spot, they'll come in and try to sneak your spot when you're backing up. You know, you see a spot, two cars behind you, and you're trying to back up into it, and someone will try to take it. And depending on, you know, what goes down, it's, uh, it can get kind of ugly. So I've gotten in, gosh, uh, countless uh, arguments with people, and it's kind of, you know, who holds their ground, who doesn't, who, you know, is willing to... Uh, to budge really so you know i've i've stood in the street for 15 minutes saying i'm not moving this is my spot and you kind of you don't want to have to do that but you know it's kind of if you don't it's kind of uh survival of the fittest you know you know the rule of double parking in the city is weird because during uh street sweeping especially in the morning you, you can get away with it where uh normally most people move their car to the other side of the street the one that's not being clean and they get out of the car and they go back into their apartment. Uh, they go back into their work and they come out maybe about 15 minutes before uh, the time's up. And most people who do that, they know the time when the street cleaning, uh, the street cleaner is coming. Anyone who's parked in the city, you know, has done the uh, street cleaning thing knows that it looks like NASCAR when the street cleaner goes by. Uh, and everyone who's double parked rushes to the other side. It's pretty funny to watch, actually. It's kind of everyone at once. As soon as that street cleaner goes by, even part of your car, you start turning. And usually people will wait at the end of the block and actually tail the uh, street cleaning uh, street cleaner uh, until the very end to get the first spot. Right now, I'm crossing Avenue B, and everything seems to be pretty full right now. You're tuned to Cityscape from WFUV and WFUV.org. I'm George Borarki, and today's show is all about parking in New York. Ever stand in front of a street sign for minutes on end, trying to figure out if it's legal to park? Ever wonder what the difference between standing and stopping is? Or exactly what the rule is when the meter is broken? Well, our next guest is the man with answers. His name is Michael Permedia, the Deputy Commissioner for Traffic Operations in New York City's Department of Transportation. Michael, help us first of all to understand the signs. I was just walking here noticing the parking regulations, and sometimes you have three signs on one. How do you make sense of that? The, the number of signs relate to the, how the curb is used during different times of the day. Uh, in most neighborhoods, there's only one sign. Uh, and in most neighborhoods, there are street sweeping regulations. It prohibits parking during the hours that the sweeper needs to get to the curb. Uh, typically, that's 90 minutes in most neighborhoods in New York City. Um, where we have different needs of the land, uh, different land uses and different needs of the curb, you have to regulate the curb more hours of the day and for different purposes. So if you see more than one sign on, on a pole, uh, there's, there's several clues that one should look at. Uh, the color, uh, 
is, is a tip-off. Uh, if a sign's in red, it means uh, that, that something is prohibited. If the sign is green, it means that something is permitted. Um, so you'll notice that all of the, the uh, meter signs, for example, are, are white letters or green letters on a white background or the reverse. Uh, signs that are uh, with red, either uh, red letters on a white background or uh, white letters on a red background, mean that you can't park uh, during certain parts of the day. The signs are fairly clear. Okay, so to Michael, reading a parking sign is pretty straightforward. But in practice, it can be a lot more complicated. No one knows this better than those drivers who have had to pay the ultimate price for parking incorrectly, getting their car towed. We went to Tow Pounds in the Bronx and Manhattan to meet some drivers who might have a word or two for Mr. Permeggia. My name is Tracy Watkins from Piscataway, New Jersey. We came over Saturday to go to B.B. King's to see Isaac Hayes. We parked on 33rd and 10th. There was no sign posted. We came back. There was an NYPD tow truck, so we asked what happened. He said they towed our car here. There was no sign posted. You walk all the way down the other end of the street. It's a sign about this, well, 6 by 6 said no parking. $185. My name is Keona Murphy. I'm from Lakewood, New Jersey. I came up here for the CoverGirl audition. Um, standing in line for three hours. I didn't know you wasn't allowed to park because it doesn't say no parking, but it does say no standing. Came back to get my car. It was gone. For no standing, no standing around, no loitering. I didn't, it doesn't say no parking. Any other place would say no parking. No standing means standing. No loitering means no loitering. Okay, so no parking means no parking, but that's not what it said. So apparently there's some confusion about just what it means when a sign says no standing. Let's go back to Michael Permeggia for the definitive answer. Standing is a, uh, means that you're, you're not allowed to park, uh, nor are you allowed to do anything except drop someone off at the curb and, and move on. I think people complain about the parking regulations and the fact that they're un, un easy to read because they don't take the time to read them and to, and to go through them uh, sequentially. Uh, or because they don't like the regulation says no, uh, and they like it to say yes, and so they say, okay, somebody else is there, I'll be there too. Is it true that the entire city is considered a towaway zone? Absolutely. Um, uh, if you're in violation of a parking regulation, you're susceptible to being towed. Um, and all you have to be is in violation of a regulation. Uh, in practice, what that means is that the more serious the violation, the more serious the regulation you're violating, the greater likelihood that you'll be towed. What's the most egregious violation, do you think? There are so many of them, uh, but, but uh, the ones that, that in, impact upon traffic flow are probably the most egregious. And so it's parking or standing in locations uh, at curbsides that are, uh, oh, that are reserved for some other uh, traffic flow purpose. Uh, so when somebody pulls up just to go in for a newspaper or a cup of coffee or just wait for somebody for three, four, or five minutes, they're not only blocking themselves, you know, the other cars, uh, but they're blocking the buses which are carrying 50 or 60 uh, passengers. I'd say those are probably the most egregious. Michael may have no sympathy for those who block bus lanes or disrupt traffic. But back at the tow pound, the story isn't so cut and dry. My name is Mike Stock. I'm from Hamden, Connecticut. We were coming back from Brooklyn last night. It was 1.30 in the morning. It was snowing. There was no parking near my brother's apartment. We parked someplace. Couldn't tell it was a bus stop. Construction and awnings in front of the sign. Didn't see the yellow on the curb. Went out this afternoon and the car was gone. There's too many people and not enough spaces, especially when you're trying to park later at night. You're kind of, yeah, there's nothing you can do about it. My name is uh, Tion Sanford. I'm from the Bronx, New York. This morning I got my car towed, I guess due to uh, uh, parking violations or whatever the situation was, but it was unnecessary. I felt that I was in the, I was in the parking zone. 
and I was uh, three square blocks away from the fire hydrant. Traffic bureau's uh, employees should give you some sort of leeway. It's 11.35, and he knew he was supposed to move his car by 11.30. Give him, like, 11.40. You know, give him five minutes leeway to get out of the way. If not, then slap a ticket on him. One last time, let's hear from Michael Permeggia from the DOT. We asked him about a common source of parking confusion, a broken meter. Uh, if the meter is missing, uh, you're allowed to be there for the, the amount of time on the sign. So if, if uh, it's a one-hour zone, you're allowed to be there for an hour. If it's a two-hour zone, you're allowed to be there two hours. We have some zones that are longer than that, um, but it's rare that you find a meter missing. Uh, and particularly for longer uh, in locations where there's more than an hour, we typically have multi-space meters, and there are plenty of them. Um, if the meter is broken, you're allowed to be there for one hour. What do you think are the most common mistakes? I don't know that, that there's so many mistakes. I think there are some, some common violations. Um, I, think, I, I think when someone over, uh, overstays their welcome at a street sweeping regulation because they've overslept or they've forgotten what day, you know, where they left their car because they parked it uh, a few days ago and, and they are there, I think that's more, somewhat more understandable. And then the motorist who must park in front of the store that they're going to regardless of the regulation or must wait uh, for someone to come down uh, while they conduct their bu- business in the building and they must take up the uh, the space. I think those aren't mistakes. Those are, are, are rather egregious violations. Well, it looks like there's no convincing Michael that mistakes just happen. But let's give the final word in this back and forth to those poor souls waiting in parking purgatory, a New York City tow pound. I went to my parking space, uh, which said no parking Tuesday and Friday. Today is Monday. Um, and uh, the car wasn't there. My name is Robert Healy. I'm from Massachusetts. They said that my car was towed away. They wouldn't tell me why. Uh, I know the car was parked legally. figure I'm going to have to pay whatever they ask me to get my car back. It's like um, ransom. My name is Emery Lindsay. I'm from the Bronx. They towed my car. I went to the emergency room this morning with my son. They called me from the school, and when I came outside, my car was gone. They said it was parked in one of those ramps. It looked like a ramp thing, but I didn't see no signs or nothing. And when I came out, it wasn't 15 minutes, and the car was gone. It sucks because there's nowhere to park. As it it is already, there's nowhere to park. There's too many cars, and when you do find a park, it's it's illegal. The city better get it to rather. My taxpayer money is going to waste. This is Cityscape from WFUV, and I'm George Borarki. The last voice we heard from brought up a pretty good point. When it comes to parking, just where should our tax dollars go? We reached one organization that encourages alternative approaches to parking policy. We're joined on the phone now by Kate Slevin. She's the associate director of the Tri-State Transportation Campaign. Kate, thanks for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you. The complaint from many drivers in New York City is usually there are too many cars and not enough parking spaces. Is that how you see it? Um, well, uh, some ways yes, in some ways no. Um, we, we agree there's too many cars, um, and we would agree probably that there is, is um, the parking is, is not um, utilized correctly. Um, there's definitely too many cars on the road. Traffic is a problem for everyone. But as far as parking, um, it's very cheap to park in, in certain parts of the city. A lot of people get free passes to park wherever they want. And the meter parking is very cheap, while the, the lot parking in, in private lots is, can be quite expensive. A recent study found that 35% of government workers drive to work because they get free parking. 
Right. Well, that's 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 a big problem. Um, you know, there's no reason why government workers should be given a free pass to drive into the city and and park on, in some cases, sidewalks and things like that. So, you know, we've really been calling for um, the city to crack down on on illegal driving and uh, illegal parking and illegal permits. Okay, but obviously it's not all illegal. If they have a placard, they can park in certain areas legally. Right, that's true, but we found that a lot of um, studies by Bruce Schaller and, and Transportation Alternatives have found that actually a lot of the people parking are just using photocopied um, placards um, and, and permits that aren't actually valid. Many people were taken back by a recent study that found more than half the drivers who crowd Manhattan each day come from the five boroughs, not from the suburbs. And for a long time, many people thought it was New Jersey, Long Island, Westchester crowding the streets. Right, right. And that's, a, that's our easy way of looking at it. I mean, even when you walk around the streets, you hear people saying, oh, Jersey drivers. And in a lot of cases, it's their neighbors that are actually driving into Manhattan and, and crowding the streets. Would you suggest two things? Number one, congestion pricing, charging people to drive into those gridlock sections, and number two, upping the price of meters? Yeah, I mean, those are two great things that, you know, we could try as a city and see how they work. You know, um, a lot of the people who, who drive into Manhattan probably want to be able to drive around more easily. A lot of the businesses, um, there's been there's a huge cost of, of congestion and not being able to do your business as, as fast as you, you possibly could. And if you do, in, in fact, charge more people to, to come into the city, into Manhattan, then you could probably um, really reduce the level of traffic and make business more productive. Let's talk about what some employers are doing in the nation to discourage driving to work. I guess some employers are charging employees to park, correct? Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting. In, um, in Hartford, uh, uh, Aetna, which is a healthcare company, they are actually saying to drivers, we're moving back to Hartford and we need you to pay for parking. And what we'll do in return is give you a larger voucher for a transit pass. If you want to take transit, we're going to improve um, our bike parking facilities. We're going to provide showers in our um, office gym. So if you do want to bike to work or, or walk to work, you have an option of, of you know, taking a shower there. Um, so there are, you know, methods to discourage people from driving to work. And really in New York City, we have such a great transit system and almost all the people who are city workers who are driving to work actually have an alternative to their car. They just don't use it because it's, it's, it's easy for them to drive and, and, and park. What we also have learned recently is that most of the drivers that are coming into Manhattan from other parts of the city are coming from areas where subway access is limited. I'm sure that increasing mass transit is another big part of this equation. That's true. That's true. I mean, one great thing that, that the city really should be doing is trying to build more housing around our existing transit centers and expanding transit um, bus service, for example, into areas that don't quite have it as, as much as they should. Um, you know, there's a, a years-long bus rapid transit study that the city DOT and Department of Transportation and the MTA are conducting, and it's taking a really long time to get implemented, and, you know, things like this should be sort of the norm. We should be just moving forward and speeding buses through traffic, giving them their own lanes, and that would really be give us a way to expand um, bus service farther into Brooklyn and Queens, where a lot of people don't have great transit access. Another um, solution in that regard is to, um, you know, increase service on the Long Island Railroad, which goes to a lot of neighborhoods in um, eastern Queens, but doesn't have great service. There are many major developments planned in New York City, including the Atlantic Yards Project in Brooklyn, and that, of course, will include a new arena for the Nets basketball team. 
Now, some are estimating that the project will generate 20,000 new vehicle trips per day. How do you handle parking in a situation like that? In, in a dense area over transit, a, a great way to go about figuring out how, how much parking you need is to simply discourage people from driving there. And instead of saying, okay, so many people are, this number of people are going to drive, we're going to provide this number of parking spaces, you say, we're building this facility right over a transit hub, a huge one. What we need to do is just get as many people onto transit or as many people there that aren't going to congest roadways that are already congested. A way to do that is to really, really, really reduce the number of parking spaces to not look at the classic method of transportation planning, which is, says, okay, how many cars are going to be on the road? Let's provide parking for all of them. You can't do that in a dense city. It simply doesn't work. You end up with very congested roadways. You know, there's, there's ways to encourage people onto transit and to encourage people to not bring their cars into very congested areas. And, and we haven't been very forward-thinking as a city um, in, in that regard. I know there's a book out there called The High Cost of Free Parking, but beyond just having difficulty finding a space, if you're a driver and getting frustrated and going around the block and around the block, what is the high cost? First of all, there's a number of environmental um, costs that come with people driving around the block and searching for parking. Um, second of all, it's, it's a hidden cost of, of how we use our, our street space. I mean, do we really want so much parking in our city? Do we really want you know, people double parking everywhere because there isn't, there aren't enough meters um, forcing people to move at certain hours. You know, these are these are questions that there's a lot of externalities that come when you build um, parking spaces and assume they need to be part of your of your city or your town. And um, you know, we as as a as a city, we really haven't approached it in the best way we we can. You said Kate earlier how the suburbs is teaching New York a lesson. Are other cities in the U.S. teaching New York? Well, city I know lesson? San Francisco. Has a transit-first policy where they say, you know, we're going to do everything possible we can to promote transit use over driving. I mean, you look cities across the world; they're they're making difficult choices. They're taking away um, car space to speed more efficient means of transportation. They're taking away uh, parking lanes for buses. They're promoting bike use. They're doing all these amazing things. And these are the sorts of things that the Bloomberg administration really needs to consider when they're talking about the sustainable city for the. Uh, for 2030, they have this whole master planning effort going on, saying how are we going to accommodate a million more people by 2030? And if you do, if you if you're going to accommodate that many more people, you really need to make these difficult choices. You need to promote more efficient means of travel, and those means of travel are transit, where more people can fit into a bus, for example, subways, where more people you know are in a subway, and bikes, where they don't pollute and they're smaller and they take up much less street space. I think a lot of people don't take transit service because they think it's not very good or they, they don't like this or that. If we provide a really modern 21st century transit system for people to get around in the city, they will take it more often. And, and if we make parking more expensive and sort of encourage people onto transit, the same thing will happen. Kate Slevin, you are the Associate Director of the Tri-State Transportation Campaign. Thanks so much. Thank you. If you want more information on the campaign, you can visit tstc.org. That just about brings us to the end of this week's Cityscape. Thanks again for tuning in. But wait a second. We almost left without checking in with Zach. Remember him? He's circling the East Village looking for a parking spot at 6 o'clock on a weeknight. Let's see if he's made any progress. One thing is when you're looking for a spot, whether you're driving around or when you're just waiting on the street waiting for a spot... You must become an expert on body language, uh, on who's just walking down the street, you know, just going somewhere, and who's actually going to go to a car. If someone is walking very fast with their head up and not, you know, looking around and kind of 
looking straight forward that usually means that they're going somewhere and somewhere fast and somewhere close. So you look for that. Uh, you look for people um, with a bunch of bags uh, who have, you know, are carrying stuff because usually that means they're going to a car. Um, you, look, you also have to turn down your radio uh, when you're waiting for a spot or even looking for one because when you hear the car alarm go off, the little beeps or you see the flashes, you know, you got, that's, you know, the uh, telltale sign that uh, you better uh, go get you, get that spot. Uh, I live on 6th Street between 2nd and 3rd, and the furthest I've gone for a spot, in all honesty, I've gone up to 29th between 6th and Broadway, just because that's another area I'm familiar with, and I know the parking up there, so I know the rules, I know uh, some of the people, so when you're desperate, you're desperate. It's almost like, you know, fishing. Uh, you know, you, you wait and wait, and if there's no bites in one area, you almost got to move on, you know, and try another area. I can't tell you how nice it is when you've been looking for a spot forever, and you finally find one, and it's, it's a weird sense of pride. And it's, it's, a, it's also a weird thing when you know you've been parking in the city a long time, when you're walking down the street, and you already have a parking spot, but you see, like, a beautiful big parking spot on the side of the street and you almost stop and stare and admire it just because you're like wow you know what I would give for that spot on you know a certain night so it's you catch yourself like wow that's you know this is pretty ridiculous right now we're crossing a uh, second avenue and I'm gonna make a uh, a turn back on to Bowery and third avenue and head back over to sixth street to see what we can find Zach Mako continues his search for a spot in the heart of the East Village. We wish him lots of luck. Remember, you can find archived shows and the Cityscape podcast at WFUV.org. I'm George Borarki. My thanks to producer Jody Avergan. Have a great weekend.